Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study called Killing Me, Why Dying to Self is the Only Way to Truly Live. We think this series has the potential to change our lives. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. In case some of you don't know, we as a church are a member of a great group of churches, a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, this denomination has been at work for over 100 years around the world. And we have missionaries in many, many countries around the world serving the Lord. And um, one of the privileges that we have as a church is to be a part of that and to support that, to be praying for that. You hear uh, Dick Jones and Harless Flores, they're our missions team, and they they keep us uh, posted on different things every so often. And um, so if you, uh, you might even notice on your offering envelope that we have this thing called the Great Commission Fund. And that's actually our participation as a church in uh, the work of missions of the Christian Missionary Alliance around the world. So if you want to give to support missionaries and support that work, you can just designate it that way right on, the off, right on our offering envelope. So that being said, we have uh, one of the missionaries that we as a church uh, directly have the privilege of supporting and praying for and caring for is Janice Quinlan. And Janice has been uh, serving the Lord in the nation of Thailand for a long time. And uh, so Janice most recently is serving as the field director in Thailand, which means she oversees all the missionaries that are working there, and she coordinates between missionaries and between the, the national churches and so forth. So Janice, would you come? We want to give Janice a big, warm uh, New River welcome. Come on up, my friend. <clears throat> Karis and I had the privilege a number of years ago to uh, go and be with Janice in her... Oh, excuse me, snuck right up on me there, to go be with Janice and her ministry in Thailand. And uh, we had a, a marvelous time. For a number of years, she taught at a college called Khan Ken Bible College up on the border of Laos and Thailand. And um, certainly one of, I think Karis would agree, one of the more um, impactful experiences that Karis and I have ever had, working with those Bible students, just incredible young men and women of God um, that are there. So Janice, we're glad you're here. Thank God, you. God bless you. Thanks. First and foremost, I'm here to say thank you for your support. I've been in Thailand for 38 years, um, and I just have one term left, so... We're getting close to the end, but um, as part of the Connecticut Missions Coalition, this church has supported the Bible school that I taught at for 20 years, and me as uh, the field director, and providing ministry funds, and I'm going to tell you uh, some of the ways those funds were used later in my message. But thank you. Thank you for continuing to support the ministry that God has given to me, and we're in the last raw right now. We're ready to go back and finish up, and I want to retire well. Well, it was March 3rd, 2022, just about a, a year ago now, that um, I just finished like three days of field leadership team meetings, and I was working with the person who was going to become field director when I came on home assignment. And March is 
traditionally the busiest month for me in that role because we're preparing a budget for all the different ministries that we're doing around the country. And, um, you know, the Alliance has a very detailed budget down to how many packages of paper you're going to use and how many pens and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, they don't want to give us any more than we absolutely need. So it's always very, very busy. But I was sitting in front of the computer with this fellow named Mark uh, explaining what he would be doing when I went on home assignment. And the telephone rang. And the secretary said, it's the general secretary of the um, field. I'm 63. These things happen. <laughs> Evangelical Fellowship of Thailand on the phone, and he wants to talk to you. I said, okay, put the call through. So I answer the phone, and he says, uh, you know, we're having our 50th year celebration of the Evangelical Fellowship of Thailand in just a few weeks. They have a quadrennial meeting once every four years. And I said, yes, I know. I plan to be at the meeting. And um, he said, well, we would really like you and the field director for Overseas Missionary Fellowship to be on a panel uh, one of the evenings of this conference. And I said, oh, please don't ask me. Right now, I'm just kind of like over my head with things to do. And on top of that, Right at the beginning of April, once the budget was sent in, we were having our five-year strategic review, and every five years, people from the national office come out and see, what have you done in the last five years, and help you plan for the next five years? Well, you know, in a large part of that time, we had COVID, and many of the things they left us to do, we weren't able to do. Some other things we were able to do, but I wasn't looking forward to the review at all. And um, it's a lot of preparation of appointments and documents and all that. And I said, really, my plate is very, very full. Please ask someone else. And they said, no, you know, it was the CMA and Overseas Missionary Fellowship. You were the two groups that founded the Evangelical Fellowship of Thailand 50 years ago, and it needs to be you. Well, <clears throat> when I realized I wasn't going to get out of it, I said, okay, but can you send me the questions? Because... There were going to be about 250 leaders in, from the churches in Thailand and mission organizations, and it was going to be broadcast on Thai television, and of course it was going to be in the Thai language. So I wanted to make sure that I knew the right kind of vocabulary and I was prepared, and he said, okay, we'll send you the questions. Thank you. So a few days later, I got the questions. I tried to prepare as very best as I could, and when I got to the meeting, I heard that the field director for Overseas Missionary Fellowship was not coming because he had COVID in his family. And so that put him at risk, and so he couldn't come to the conference. So now I'm getting really nervous. And the second day of the conference and that evening was when I was supposed to be on this panel, and the other man was not going to be there. So I was, you know, all day. I didn't go to supper. I just didn't think it would settle on my stomach because it was an evening service. And about 15 minutes before the service, I get a phone call and says, the committee would like you to come down before we start the program. I said, okay. So I go downstairs and find this group of people, and they tell me, we've changed the questions. And I'm thinking, oh, please don't do this. I said, remember, I'm not a native Thai speaker, and this is going to be televised all over the country. And they said, oh, it, you know, they won't be too difficult. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you can say that because you're Thai, and I'm not Thai. But, um, 
you know, I, I just prayed, Lord, help me, because I, have no, I don't know what the questions are. I have no time to prepare. I'll, you know, I have to give this to you and trust. Maybe there's somebody in this group that will receive some kind of an encouragement about whatever they ask, because I don't know what it's going to be. Well, I have to admit, the questions were not that hard, of uh, which I thank God. Um, but in the course of the questioning, the moderator said to me, you've been here a long time, right? And I said, yes, um, 37 years at that point in time. I said, yes, I've been here for 37 years. And he said, why did you stay? When so many other people left, why didn't you leave? And I kind of chuckled that nervous kind of a laugh, because uh, I certainly didn't expect that kind of a question. And I said, well, I never left because God never took the burden that he put on my heart for people who have little or no access to the gospel. So I couldn't leave. And that's why I've been here the last 37 years. After the conference was over and I went back to my office, I started to really think about that question because, to be honest, I'd never really thought about it before. I just went term after term after term and believed that God continued to open doors but I never really asked myself, why did you stay all those years? And as I began to pray about it and think about it and ask the Lord to help me be able to see the total picture, what has kept me there for 37 years? And in that process, I realized three things. One, lessons that God had taught me from his word because that's foundational to our Christian life. Two, Encouragement from his people and sacrificial giving. And three, unlikely lessons from nature. So during this process, God led me back to a passage and a message that I had heard many years ago, and I want to paraphrase that message for you. And we're going to look at that right now. When God becomes a reality, when we look at Isaiah chapter 6, God as a concept is the way Isaiah had known God before. And on this particular day, Isaiah goes into the temple and his experience moves from God as a concept to God as a reality. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. 
He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, Lord? Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. In this passage today, we're going to see three quakes. A God quake, which leads to a self quake, which then led to a world quake. What do we mean like that? by that? Isaiah likely had been to the temple many times in his life, but this time was different than any other time. This time, he sees the glory of the Lord. Now, he, in Hebrew, the word glory means weight or weightiness. Something that has glory has weight. You see, when God is a concept, he's lighter than you. You have the glory. And he's there whenever you need him for your purposes. You're ill and you want healing. You want a new job. You need more money. But when God becomes a reality, he's heavier than you. And you end up doing what the Lord wants you to do. Your, your world changes from you being at the center of your life to allowing the Lord to become the center of your life. This is what happens in this passage today with Isaiah. Now, glory, as I said, is weightiness. And some of you might have read a very famous sermon written by C.S. Lewis called The Eternal Weight of Glory, because glory is weight. Isaiah likely believed in God. He came likely from the, a royal family, um, some commentators think King Uzziah might have been his uncle. So, you know, this is a very memorable time in, in Isaiah's life. But when he enters the temple, something happens. It says that it, the temple shook and the doorposts uh, shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, this is not an unusual happening. We read about examples like this in scripture on many occasions. At Sinai, in Exodus chapter 19, there was an earthquake and the mountain trembled. In Acts chapter two, in the upper room, the room trembled and shook violently. The seraphim are calling out to each other a continuous action. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now. Holy, this word holy appears three times, which is very significant because the, the usual way in the Hebrew language to show magnitude is to double a word. Uh, they, you know, you'll read in the, if you read in the Hebrew Bible, say pit pit, where we might say a large pit or a deep pit. Or gold gold, we might say the brightest gold or the purest gold or the finest gold. 
But never in the Old Testament until this passage do we see a word tripled. And actually, it only happens in Scripture two times. This time in uh, the book of Isaiah and in Revelation. So God is in a category beyond anything that they would describe in their language. Only God uses this uh, tripling of a word. So being in this experience where God becomes a reality to Isaiah, the God quake becomes a self quake. He sees the beauty of the Lord. And he says to himself immediately, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now Isaiah was the man with the golden tongue. His, his lips were the very best part of him. He didn't say, you know, woe to me, my hands are unclean because I've touched unclean things, or woe to me, my feet are unclean because I've walked in unclean places. He says the very best part of him is flawed, is defective, and he recognizes it first in himself before in other people. You know, it's so common when we talk to people is, I'm this way because everybody else's fault. They, you know, I'm this way because my husband treats me this way. I'm this way because my children are disobedient. I'm this way because of my parents. Isaiah says, I'm this way first. And other people are also the same as me. That's how you know that someone has gone into the presence of the Lord. You have to feel that way. You have to feel like you're a sinner. How could you feel anything else in the presence of a holy God. Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Job said, I have heard about you with my ears. Now I see you with my eyes, and I repent. An angel flies to uh, Isaiah with a live coal on tongs, because it's very, very hot, obviously, and flies to him and brings this live coal which, which Isaiah must have thought, I'm cooked, literally. You know, I'm done. I'm ruined. Because in the Old Testament, fire symbolized judgment. And Isaiah must have thought, I'm being judged. But to his surprise, the coal touches his lips. He is cleansed. And as soon as that happens, he hears... Um, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is toned for. Immediately, the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This uh, response, here I am, is a common response we see through Scripture. When God specifically calls a person, the response is, here, here I am, uh, no questions asked about what you're calling me to do, but if you're calling, I'm willing. When um, Abraham was called, he said, here I am, Hanene, here I am. At uh, the time he was going to sacrifice his son, he says to the Lord, here I am. Moses and the burning bush calls out to God and says, here I am. The little boy Samuel, who the Lord calls out to three times in the night, says, here I am. The God quake became a self quake. 
When I was 15, I went to a World Missions in Review uh, meeting at Nyack College. I was 15 years old. And when they gave the call to go, who, you know, who'd be willing to go, I said, I'll go. I'd come from a non-Christian family and had somebody not picked me up and brought me to Sunday school, I would have never known about Jesus. My family would never have gone to church. They knew they were sinners. Nobody had to tell them they, that they were. And so I thought, you know, here I am in this nation that is supposedly Christian, and I grew up not knowing about Jesus. How about people for whom there are no believers? And people have to be willing to cross those cultural and linguistic boundaries to share the gospel with them. I'll go. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I went forward and my pastor, to his credit, um, came and stood beside me and kind of put his arm around my back and said, if you believe that this is what God is calling you to do, we will do everything we can to make that a reality. Now, he didn't say, you? Why would you ever think you could be a missionary? Because nobody in my family had ever gone beyond the ninth grade. So I knew then, one, I had to finish high school. Two, I had to go to college, and I didn't know that I would have to go to seminary. God reveals it step by step. Um, but I said, yeah, here I am. I'll go. And 10 years after walking forward at that meeting, I actually boarded the plane and moved to Thailand, and I've been serving there for 38 years. So the God quake that became a self-quake now becomes a world quake. Because Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You serve him because he's beautiful. I want to uh, read to you two verses of a song that's very famous to us in the Christian Missionary Alliance because it was written by our founder, Dr. A.B. Simpson. It's called, Once It Was a Blessing. Once it was a blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. And verse 4, once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. Three characteristics in Isaiah's life uh, that make him and us useful. Isaiah was available. He said, here I am. No conditions asked because God was more real to Isaiah than his own needs. He was dependable. God gave him a job description. He is going to preach and nobody was going to listen to him. It doesn't say in chapter 6 that you know, he accepted the call, but all you need to do is read through the book of Isaiah, and you'll see that Isaiah did exactly that. And there's expectancy. When God has a plan, there is always hope. So in Isaiah's lifetime, it's going to look really bleak. People are not going to listen to you. But it's not the end. Because in the last verse, it says, but as the terebinth and oak, two different kinds of trees native to that area, 
leave stumps when they are cut down. So the holy seed will be a stump in the land. It, God will produce fruit. You may not see it in your lifetime, but you can trust that it will happen. When God is a reality, you work, no matter how it looks around you, because there is a divine plan. Is God a concept or a reality in your life? If he's a concept, I pray that God will become a reality to you. Now, I'm not going to say that every time I went into church or even on a regular basis, that I felt God's presence so very close to me. But there have been times when almost palatable, and when that happens, and God moves from being a concept to a reality, he can never go back to being a concept again. When you know God has placed you somewhere, you stay regardless of the circumstances, and that's why I stayed for the last 38 years. One thing that COVID taught us is to be the church outside the walls of our church building. You know, the government was always saying, okay, you have to totally close down. Okay, you can meet ten, if you're 10 people or less. Okay, close down again. Okay, you can meet if there's 20 or less. Okay, close down again. So we were opening and closing, and we did three church plants during that time. Not an easy time to do a church plant when we're, we don't know from week to week if we're going to close. And sometimes it's 9 o'clock the night before that there's an announcement, and you've prepared Christmas the next day, and you have all this food and all these gifts, and they say, okay, you can't meet. It. And you're like, okay, well, we'll wrap up the food and share it with all of our neighbors. Uh, and we learn to be creative. We learn to be the church outside the walls of the building. We couldn't meet in the building, but that did not mean we couldn't do ministry. So on the little lane that is our mission guest home and the mission office, it's about 200 yards off of a main street. On the right-hand side, there had moved come up a very, very simple shanty-type dwelling for some construction workers that were largely Cambodian and some people from Myanmar who were migrant workers working in construction and being paid day by day. Well, the, the gate was always closed. Probably they didn't want us to see the poor conditions that the Thai managers were asking these people to live in. But whenever I went by and the door cracked a little bit, or I tried to see what was, and I was dying to know what was happening inside that camp. And God put the, the, them on my heart, because I thought of all the places, Bangkok is a city like New York City, of all the places this camp could have been, it was put on our lane. And I did not want those people to leave without hearing the gospel. But I didn't know how I would get in until COVID. And like I said, things, some of the things we wanted to do, we couldn't do but it gave us opportunity to get inside this migrant workers camp. We were having a guest come to stay at our mission home and they were Cambodian speakers. I thought this is perfect. So I said, I wanna get in there and I wanna share the gospel with these people. Can you translate it into Khmer? And he was like, yeah, sure. I said, could you bring some tracks in Khmer that I can give out in their own language? So one day I saw the door wasn't quite shut because if you're a day laborer, you work, and at the end of the day, you get your money. So these people weren't working. They didn't have a lot of money. So they would be playing on the little lane, kicking a ball or doing something. 
And I got in and asked who like, was the, in charge of that camp. And they pointed me to a lady. And I said, we'd like to do something for this, these people. Can we come here on Christmas? Uh, we'll prepare gifts and food. And there were not a lot, but maybe about eight children under the age of six, under school, school age. And they were always playing in the trash because they didn't have toys. And I said, we'll buy, you know, cars and dolls and balls and bring milk and what, let us come. And they said, okay. I said, how many units, family units are here? And she said, about 70. And I said, what would you like as a gift? And she said, uh, a piece of cloth, like a sarong, because it can be a bathrobe coming out of the bathtub. Or it can be a blanket at night. Or it can be a shawl when you're cold, and so it's like a multi-purpose piece of cloth. I, okay, we will bring those. And so some of the funds that you sent, we were able to buy those things to bring to these uh, migrant workers. Christmas Eve came, you know, some other international workers that were staying at the guest house, and this translator and I went into the camp and shared the gospel with them. But I thought, there's a lot more than 70 people here. And so I said to the uh, missionary who could speak the Khmer language, what are we going to do? I only have 70 presents. And he said, well, I have an idea. Uh, I'll go to the mission guest home, and I'll get some colored paper, and I'll be right back. And I thought, okay, I don't know what that's about. But uh, he went, and he got some pink paper, the color pink. And he folded it in half and cut them in two, and he said, okay, when you run out of gifts you give the people this pink piece of paper. Because if it was white, they might be able to find a white piece of paper. Nobody's going to find a pink piece of paper in this migrant workers camp. And you tell them, okay, in two days I'll be back. You bring the pink piece of paper, and I'll give you a gift. This way you'll know, did they really come on Christmas Eve? I said, okay, that sounds really good. So we started passing out 80 more pieces of paper. And I thought, okay, I have two days to find 80 more sarongs to make it 150. I was thinking one per family, but everybody wanted a gift. So they were all in line to get one. That's why we ran out after 70. So okay, I'll, I'll buy some more. I raced around on Christmas Day and the day after. I could find some here and some there, but it was hard to get 80 at any one store. But I did. And I went back and collected the papers. And that gave me an opportunity to become friendly with these people. So when they were walking out to work or coming back, they would smile at me, I would smile back. We had two other opportunities to get into the camp, to bring rice, sardines. They like sardines because you don't need to refrigerate it. You pop the lid off, pour it on your rice, that's supper. So they said they wanted sardines. Okay, we can bring you sardines. Masks, water. And one day I, was, I left, I drove up to the Northeast because there was a meeting of the Bible school board. And came back, and it was gone. The, the camp was gone. And so I, 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 I was like, oh, they've moved on to somewhere. I did not expect that at the first time that I met them, that they would come to Jesus. I didn't expect that. But I wanted to move them forward, that the next time they came in contact with Christians, they would say, you know what? These people talked kindly to us. They were nice to us. They treated us nicely. I'm not afraid of Christians anymore. I'll be willing to go with you or be a friend with you. If we could move them forward a step or two towards coming to faith, that was what I was hoping to happen. 
So God t uh, spoke to me through his word. I'm just going to do really short the next two. Uh, secondly, through people who prayed for me and gave sacrificially. This church is one that I regularly see on my uh, notification that I receive every month. Now that we've moved to international workers having to raise 45 to 65% of your allowance, every month they give you a list of who are the people that have sent in. And I see your name, and I know that you have uh, given, and I praise God for that because it allows me to continue in ministry. People that I've met, and I, when I visit churches and they say, I've been praying for you, I think, wow, thank you, God. What a privilege that is. I have a, a coach who I meet every other Monday night on Zoom, and we talk, and he asks me really tough questions. And I know, okay, it's Monday. He's going to ask me, did you talk to this person? Did you do this? Did you fulfill this? And I have to do it because I'm going to have to answer to him. But I think having an accountability person is good for everybody because we need people to ask us tough questions sometimes. And the last uh, lesson, number three, is lesson from nature. I want to share with you uh, something that God used to be a blessing to me. When I walked from the mission guest home to my apartment, it's about seven-minute walk, at that apartment, the whole first floor is cement. There's no tree, no blade of grass. It's all cement for people to park. I live on the fourth floor. Next to me is a, in a very old apartment building, but the rooms are large. Bangkok, you know, everything is so tiny. So there's a, a new apartment building right next to me, and that has like 21 or 22 floors. It's very narrow and small, but it's much higher than us. So across from me, I can see the levels of the parking garage, and the level across from me is probably about the fourth or fifth floor, just like me. But on the edge of the parking garage, of course, there's a cement ledge because you don't want anybody driving off, uh, you know, and their car falling down four or five or six flights. There's no trees, but every morning, just before dawn, a bunch of birds will sit on that little ledge and will sing in the morning. I want you to hear it just very briefly. That became something I looked forward to every morning. And we were in COVID, and there were so many restrictions, and I would say, God, give me a song in my heart like you've given to those birds. They, you know, how resilient are they? They don't have any, I don't even know where they find food to eat. There's no trees for them to land on, but they land on this little ledge. And I knew that when I went to the office, if I was in a sour mood for the day, and other international workers called, I would not be an encouragement to them. And, you know, they usually call because there's a problem, and so I need to be able to be positive and have joy in my heart. So every morning when I prayed, Lord, give me joy like these birds. You care for them. I know you're going to care for me. And, you know, it was just, it was such a lovely thing in a city of over 11 million people. So I just want going to tell you what I'm going to do. 
when I go back because I'm not going back as field director and then I'll be done. After three terms of being field director, I felt like it was time for me to get back into full-time ministry with Thai people. And it was time for a younger person to come up when there were still older people around to be able to help them. So I said to the field and to the missionaries and to the national office, I'm not going to go back as field director. I'm not going to let my name stand for election. I need to go back in ministry with Thai people because I want to retire in ministry. I want to retire in relationships, not sitting behind a desk, signing documents, putting out fires. Um, it's time for me to do something else. And so um, the field leadership team said, well, what, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I would like to work on the Cambodian border because we have so many alumni from the years I taught at the Bible College who are working in that area, and we can't really send a family because there's no international school there. But I don't have children, so I can go. And um, we have 11 theological education, by extension, centers in that area. And so I would like to work with theological education by extension, because most of these center leaders are my former students. And, you know, in Thailand, a teacher is a lifelong relationship. You know, they, they have such a high value of education that a teacher is kind of next to being a parent. And so, you know, I've been to their weddings and held their children, and now I want to go back and do ministry. I want to finish up that way. And the field leadership team said, Yes, could you do that? And we'll add a few other things on top of it. Okay, I'm happy to do that. So I will be moving about seven hours from Bangkok to, and living on the Cambodian border. I am so excited about that. I mean, how you can't find a better job description for a final term than to be able to work with the students you trained 10 or 20 years ago at the Bible school. And I have to remember, they're not kids anymore. You know, they've been in ministry 10 or 20 years, but we get to do ministry together. So when you think about that, you know, pray for me. It's really been a gift because the mission said, you know, you're so far from any other Alliance missionary, probably about six hours from the closest one. Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to be lonely. I have all these students that I know. Uh, do you want money to come every month to our prayer meeting? No, I'm not going to drive six hours for a one-hour prayer meeting and drive back. Maybe like once a quarter, and then I can join on Zoom. We all learned how to use Zoom very well during COVID. Uh, so I think I'll be fine, but we have a missionary who has retired from the CMA Churches of the Philippines, and she was my housemate for many years when I taught at the Bible school. She's retired in the Philippines, but she's willing to come back and live with me on the Cambodian border, so I'm not alone. I have a housemate. What a gift is that? She's going to arrive the day before I arrive uh, in Thailand. And she's right now building a retiral house. So I know, you know, this is going to be a big sacrifice. You build this little home for yourself. Naturally, you know, at 68, you want to move in there and live there. But you're willing to say, okay, I'm going to close that up when I finish and come back to Thailand for three years, Lord willing, so I can live with you, you're not alone, and we can do ministry together. That's just such a huge gift that God has given to me. So I just want to say thank you for the way that you have supported me over the years. And continue praying and giving. It's the last term. We're getting ready to finish this up. But continue praying, please, and continue giving. And uh, you'll get updates about what happens once I get to the Cambodian border. Yeah. Oh. I was supposed to pray and I forgot. <laughs>
Thank you, Janice, so much. You know, I, I, as I hear Janice speak, I, the word satisfaction comes to my mind, my heart. Just there's something satisfying about knowing that you're doing what God has asked you to do, even if the thing you're doing is difficult, even if it's not comfortable, even if it's out of, you know, out of your norm. But you know that the Lord has asked you to do it. You do it. And there's satisfaction in that. And I thank you because I, I hear I hear that in your voice, Janice. I see that in your heart. You know, uh, to be able to to be in a place that you love these people for 38 years, and to say I want to finish well and I want to spend the last time that I have there with people, like what a blessing. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> like to be able to to be able to finish your time uh, your time working with people that you taught. 20 years ago, what a, what a blessing that must be. But I think that you can share the same blessing and I can share the same blessing. Like, do you ever have that feeling at times that you're missing it? That you know that God has, has asked you to do something, he's put something on your life and you've put it off, you're not doing it. Because you've got this, you've got that, you're busy, here's this. You know, we always have our excuses, we all do. I just sense the Lord saying this morning is the time for you to say, okay, God, I'm willing to step into that thing you've been asking me to do. And you don't know what it looks like, sure. Um, you might not know what the next couple of steps are. That's okay. I think Janice said that too. You didn't realize you'd have to go to seminary. <laughs> kind of a surprise, right? But uh, I think um, the Lord is gracious that way. So we start. I think the, the beginning, the first step is simply just a, a turning to say, okay, God, I'm willing. That's the step. That's first step. I'm willing. I'm willing. Or as Isaiah said, here I am. And the same thing, here I am. So if you'd be willing to say that with me this morning, I want to just invite you to do that. And, and as, we, uh, as the worship team leads us in a closing song, we're going to open this altar and you can come and uh, just you know, take the step. God, I'm willing, here I am. And you know, it doesn't mean that God's calling you to Thailand, maybe he is, or Zimbabwe or some great spot like that. Like I said, I don't know what it is that God's put on your heart, but I think that it's important for you to finally say, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it, God. And I'll trust that uh, you know the plan and that, um, that you will lead and um, I will follow. So is that you this morning? Let's bow our heads. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.